Good evening, I'm Christian Esguera and welcome to tonight's episode of After the Fact where we get to see things more clearly, where we get a better sense of the truth. So let's start by dissecting the news. Despite the high number of COVID-19 cases here in the Philippines, we unfortunately have not yet been getting enough supply of vaccines. In fact, the Philippines ranks ninth among all 10 ASEAN countries in terms of the number of fully vaccinated people as a percentage of the total population. In short, we're still a long way to go before hitting that target of vaccinating up to 70 million Filipinos by the end of the year. Hence, the upcoming study on whether mixing different vaccine doses can affect their efficacy and won't pose any danger. Because as things stand, a good number of Filipinos are already hesitant to get vaccinated, many of them afraid of the possible side effects. Tonight, we'll break down all these issues with Dr. Jaime Montoya, the Executive Director of the Philippine Council for, the, for Health Research and Development. We're also joined by Dr. Jean Esperos, a professor at the UP College of Medicine and a member of the Community, Development, or Community Medicine Development Foundation. Now, be part of our discussion. Send us your questions and comments on our YouTube live chat or tweet us using the hashtag ANCAfterTheFap. Good morning, uh, good afternoon, sorry, good evening, gentlemen, and thank you for joining us on the program. Uh, good evening. Hi, Christian. Thank I, you very much I, for inviting us here. Yeah, my apologies because I still need to get used to this uh, new schedule for our uh, program. <laughs> and I'm happy to have you uh, guys here tonight on the program. Let's start with Dr. Jaime Montoya. Um, this uh, this uh, this plan to conduct a study on the possible mixing of certain vaccines uh, when is this expected to happen? Well, we have already formed the team, the research team, and it's going to be headed by Dr. Michelle Rivera of the Philippine Society for Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. And uh, it's going to be conducted for a period of about 18 months. And hopefully, it should be starting sometime next month. So we hope that this mix and match study will actually take off at the soonest time possible after it has hurdled some of the requirements like uh, technical review, ethical review, and subsequently submission to the FDA for approval. Okay, now why do they need to conduct the study? Don't we have uh, enough vaccines expected to arrive, let's say, within that uh, 18 months where the study is expected to be completed? Yeah, well, everyone knows that there's not enough vaccine to start with. It's, there's always a lack of vaccines. And number two, they don't arrive on time. And it may happen that, yes, you had your first vaccine shot, but your second dose may, is, of course, should be the same vaccine, but maybe the supply doesn't arrive on time, or for some reason, it's not available. So then you lose the, the possibility of getting a shot just because the second vaccine, uh, the second dose is not available. So if you have this mm -hmm. option of mixing, then it can address some of these problems, not all, but some of these problems. And because of this possible scientific uh, basis that you might even have a better antibody response or protection, you're actually mixing two vaccines of different types because they actually you know, stimulate a different type of antibody response depending on, so on what is being exposed and what is being presented to the uh, vaccine. So, so on principle, at least, this could work, meaning making use of two different vaccine doses or brands. Yes, we do believe it's going to work. We just want to be sure that it's safe 
that there will be no new side effects that we will see, and that there's no effect or diminution or decrease in antibody response. Can't we go by, let's say, uh, other trials that might have been conducted already and completed in other countries as reference for for the possible mixing of these uh, doses here in the Philippines? Yeah, of course, that is uh, good. There are, of course, ongoing trials now. They started early, uh, for example, in the UK, in Spain, in some other European countries, small studies are going on. But I think the difference here is that this is Philippine data and uh, we want to have Filipino uh, experience. We want to find out whether we'll have the same response as the other people in other countries. So that will still okay, be how, important information. And how much will this be, this entire study? And who will be financing this? Well, this is actually going to be financed by the Philippine government. And because it will involve three populations, if I may just elaborate first. The first population will be given uh, the traditional or the, um, the classic way of administering, which is the first dose and the second dose of the same type. The second group actually is a combination. The first dose is, let us say, vaccine A, and then the second dose is any of the vaccines which are available here in the Philippines. And we're talking here of uh, Pfizer, Moderna, which is coming, we have uh, the Sputnik V or the Gamaleya vaccine, which is of two types. We call it Adeno 26 and the other one is Adeno 5 uh, and uh, AstraZeneca. But our base is actually going to be Sinovac because we feel that Sinovac uh, so far is the most, uh, well, the most available vaccine currently and even in the future based on the, uh, the uh, provision or the orders that have been negotiated. And number two, um, we feel that uh, there's still not enough data uh, for Sinovac, and this can actually contribute to that knowledge uh, gap. Okay. No, but, and but, then the third group, is, if I may add, okay. is the two okay, doses of the same type, but that there's a booster or a third dose, which is any again of the five. So uh, that's the third group. And this will amount okay, to so about 140 million uh, pesos. Okay, so the base of vaccine will be Sinovac, but isn't there supposed to be a separate clinical trial for Sinovac? Well, there is a, there, they, they submitted an application to the Food and Drug Administration for an independent trial uh, going to look at the uh, elderly population, uh, but uh, they've actually instituted certain amendments. And as of now, uh, it's not yet uh, approved because they changed the protocol. So it's still being reviewed. So okay. it's pending. So for those who might be wondering, why do we need to mix and match certain vaccine brands? Because we know that on the ground, people are a good number of uh, people are quite concerned about the brand of vaccines that they, that they would want to be administered uh, to them. So this is, is this something that we really need to, to do uh, as a country, meaning to explore this possibility, whatever the outcome of that study would be. As I said, we see the importance of doing such because it provides vital information, not only for all of us to know if it's actually safe and effective as the traditional two-dose same type of vaccine uh, regimen. Uh, it will also provide valuable information to the FDA because remember, um, we can actually use them uh, one after the other, different types of vaccines, but that is not provided for by the emergency use authorization issued to the companies. 
the EUA is issued on the condition that you use the same vaccine, which means the EUA should be updated. If you're going to do that, the FDA should update its approval for a particular vaccine, indicating that you can combine it with something else, but they have to base it on certain data, whether it be from other countries and also from our country because it's local data. I think uh, those data will be very relevant and important for the FDA to make that appropriate uh, approval. Okay, so far are there uh, similar studies conducted in other countries that we can already make use of as reference? For instance, in terms of determining possible side effects, whether the side effects would worsen or in fact be minimized if we combine certain uh, yeah. brands of vaccines. As I said, the, 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 the one that started it all is the UK. So there's still the trial is still ongoing, but uh, based on the trends and they've issued reports on this, it seems that uh, it's actually safe and uh, the protection levels, the antibody levels are good. But, you know, we have to wait for the, um, the um, completion of the study for the complete data analysis to be released. The same thing with Spain, for example. Spain has released uh, some interim data on uh, the same trends that it's safe and it looks like it's uh, there's no diminution of uh, antibody levels. So we have to await the final report about the idea of whether or the question of whether certain vaccines could or still work uh, or be as efficacious in terms of dealing with other vac uh, with other COVID-19 variants. Yeah, because... Would this also be covered by the study, for instance? Yeah, be because, you know, all of these vaccines, except for J Janssen, all of them will have two doses, uh, 21 or 28 days apart. And of course, Astra is even longer, uh, 8 to 12 weeks. So we just want to see whether if you start with one vaccine and follow it with another vaccine of a different type, that the, uh, the safety will be the same and the efficacy, more importantly, will also be the same, if not better. Okay. How about the participants? Where are they coming from? Well, the participants, of course, uh, we plan to do an adaptive study, which means that it will be done in places where... Uh, cases are rampant because, first of all, we want to be sure that they're actually exposed to the virus. No, so we want to do it in places where, then the cases are are most in number. So, it most likely will be in the urban centers, most likely in the national capital region. They're already probable sites, and there will also be an inclusion criteria. Uh, who will be included in the study? So, usually, these are people who are otherwise uh, okay. Uh, except that uh, in the third group, which I mentioned, the one with the booster, will include high-risk groups. So this will include healthcare workers, the elderly, people with comorbidities, uh, etc. That's the one with the two-dose regimen of the same type followed by the booster. Okay. The booster, uh, most likely usually on principle, when should that uh, be taken, the booster? Well, based on the, uh, the study, we're looking at about a month after the second dose, the booster will be given. And then we follow them up across time as far as, uh, of course, uh, possible side effects, uh, the efficacy based on antibody levels. And of okay. course, uh, so hopefully they will mm. not develop COVID. Okay, hopefully. Now let's go to this issue of, uh, this is a related issue of vaccine hesitancy. Again, uh, recently there was a survey showing that uh, 
only 32% of the respondents were willing to get vaccinated. And quite alarming was that 33% of the respondents were unwilling, while 35% were uncertain. I'd like to ask uh, Dr. Gina Speros, uh, you're a community medicine specialist also. So basically, there's, uh, uh, I think, more uh, meaningful uh, interaction, uh, if I may say so, in terms of uh, getting the pulse of people on the ground. Um, they th what do you think of certain strategies that are being implemented now in terms of uh, dealing or addressing this problem of hesitancy? And uh, what do you think is the best way to basically convince people to get vaccinated? And number three, I'd like to load this question already to give you opportunity to answer. Uh, is it really a problem of uh, hesitancy when it comes to vaccines in general or the brand of the vaccines? All right. Uh, thank you for asking that question, uh, Christian. Well, let's go first to vaccine hesitancy. Apparently, um, what we know from the community is there's a compendium of reasons. It can be as, as simple as wala siyang karanasan magpabakuna before. So takot siya sa ringgilya o sa crime. It can be as simple as that. Or it can be the, the misinformation as regards how, uh, how um, significant the side effects will be. Especially in the news, kung ang pinag-uusapan palagi is yung mga side effects, then yun yung tumitimo sa utak ng tao. But then again, you see something like what happened in Paranaque, where people would, would actually go because they heard a certain brand was being given there. So you realize that maybe a significant part of vaccine hesitancy is not necessarily vaccine hesitancy, but uh, um, brand preference or vaccine preference, also owing to the fact that not all of the vaccines are being promoted uh, equally or it we would have the same amount of uh, information out there. Like... If you have, let's say, you have a relative in the States, and in the States, uh, everybody's either getting a, a Moderna, Pfizer, and Janssen, then you would say, uh, you, you would get that information from them. So when you, when you look at the vaccination program here, may preference ka na. So when, to answer your second question, those are the things that the DOH or, or the IATF should be handling. Uh, it's not a matter of uh, lessening the information, which is the direction they're taking now. It's a matter of, letting the information out there and getting people engaged. You know, um, as a lot of people um, who may be initially afraid of vaccination with due time and with uh, proper explanation will change their mind. You know, um, but you cannot expect them to, to just follow and say, hey, um, this is what the, only one of the, the only vaccine available to you. Get it now. There's just going to be some resistance there because there is really no explanation. So for the longest time, that's what, that's what we have been seeing. There's just not enough explanation. There's not just not enough um, dialogue between those who are going to get vaccinated and those who are going to give the vaccine. That, how about the daily more, figures that were? How about the daily figures that are being reported by the Department of Health? Are they enough to somehow scare people into getting the first available vaccine out there? I mean, it's we're seeing a lot, lot of cases every day. That's right. But, you know, um, I, I've seen people, I've talked to people, I've heard people saying, for instance, the, the elderly, right? You would have a conversation and they would say, Bakit kami pauunahin? Gusto nyo na bakang mamatay kami? <laughs> Kasi may sakit kami. How are you going to address that? You know, uh, they, they relate it to the current situation. When in fact, the, 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 when you explain it to them, kaya po kayo inuuna kasi po sa inyong, uh, sa inyong hanay, kayo po ang pinaka-vulnerable at kayo po yung gusto namin protektahan. How much of that kind of conversation are we having right now at the grassroots level? Rather than mm -hmm. just telling people, 
eto lang yung bakuna sa inyo, get it rather than be exposed to, to COVID. I mean, that's just no wrong. There's nothing wrong with that kind of a statement. But is that convincing enough? Are we addressing their anxieties and fears? And that's something we really need to address. Their anxieties, okay. regardless of, of whether it's logical, and many of these are not really necessarily um, founded on anything specific, but mm-hmm. based on their belief, based on what they've heard from their neighbors, based on what they see in the news. I'll give you an example. There's a news, there's an, a news that would headline something like, uh, X number of side effects being monitored. So people will say, hey, and dami palang side effect, kailang palang bantayan yan. Well, in fact, you can, when you can take it at something like uh, of the number of vaccines or vaccinations that's given, uh, only this percentage experience uh, side effects. So, magkaiba yung thing that you mentioned that because, diba? yeah, good thing that you mentioned that because even uh, members of the news media are at fault in terms of inadvertently discouraging right. people from getting vaccinated. For example, That's headline right. or headline writing, right? When, yes. when, whenever there's uh, this reckless uh, showing of <laughs> yes. a very questionable causality oh. between dying or getting uh, yes. sick oh. after getting this vaccine. Yes. There's a lot of things that happen in between. That's right. And I get that. When I, when I talk to, to, let's say, groups of uh, workers or groups of farmers, Somebody will always say, eh kasi po sinabihan ako nung kaibigan ko na yung tatay niya pagkatapos mabakunahan namatay. Oh, how, are you, how are you gonna how are you gonna address that? And and there's this causality yeah. rather than association with the vaccine. So you cannot just mm-hmm. do that in one sitting. It has to be a continuous education. And what we don't see with the government right now is is a, a degree of health promotions promotion that is consistent that actually focuses and listens to people. You know, we have all the right answers, but are those answers the ones that address the ones that address what people are asking? We can't give answers to questions they haven't asked. And if we are giving them answers different from the questions they're asking, we're never going to hit our targets. Right? Oh, so ang so laki the problem is messaging also. Messaging, okay. communication, engagement, promotion, and most importantly, looking at people as part of the solution. I think that's where we, rather than just plain beneficiaries, rather than just, you know, the, you know, the language that I'm an expert and you're not an expert, therefore listen to me. That, that's, that shouldn't work. You know, that, that doesn't work at all. You have to convince them by listening to them. And sometimes you don't have the answers. And, and we can just say, Kung gusto niyo po, tignan natin yung mga nangyari. May mga kapitbahay kayong binakunan. Ano po ba naramdaman nila? We have to go that way if it's if it's the only way they can we can convince them, right? Rather than mm. just you know, it's very saying, complicated, really. It's 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 a it's yeah. a tiresome, painstaking process. But if we really have, we're playing catch up, eh? Because all of these vaccine promotions should have been done way many years ago. Hindi lang dahil may may pandemya ngayon, di ba? Matagal na tayong may problema sa sa vaccine completion, sa vaccine uh, confidence, no? So. We're, we're playing catch now. You mentioned that uh, that problem. Um, the the impact or the effect of the Deng Baksha scare, do you still see that or feel that on the ground now? Despite well, everything that's that has been happening since last year during the pandemic, talagang takot pa rin ba yung mga tao? Yung, yung remnants of that fear caused by the Deng Baksha controversy? Oh yes. Uh, the, the, well, the Deng Baksha controversy really had a major impact but I would not say it's the sole cause of vaccine hesitancy. Now, you're talking about uh, number of, let's say we're talking about number of kids 
who completed their vaccination, right? Even before the Dengvaxia controversy, that's already been going down. So what what the Dengvaxia controversy just did was just to 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 hasten to speed up the the decline and make it more dramatic. Now, if you imagine when 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 it comes to vaccines, people are people would usually go to a doctor or a health personnel to ask if maganda po ba to, effective po ba to, the way they're asking now. But uh, in Dengvaxia, when the controversy was when the controversy was still hot, they were listening to, to media person. Media people, they're listening to, to to a lawyer. I mean, why is that? Because at some point, the people and those who know better, the health personnel, were not engaging with each other. Diba? Hindi, eh, hindi masyadong nagkakataon mag-usap and it's very hard to, to, to ask doctors. Hindi naman madali maghanap ng doctor, matatanong mo, Dok, ano ba to? Totoo ba to? Hindi madali yon. At the same yeah, but time, I think some, but, uh, we should have learned something from to... that. Yeah, but we also have to acknowledge the fact that there was also irresponsibility on the part of certain media people, even lawyers, or not exactly doctors. The same problem that we're also seeing now. Let's say, for example, oh, yes. in terms of ivermectin. I'm going to ask about that later on, the trials. Before we proceed, I'd like to ask Dr. Montoya about this. Uh, related the uh, survey by the SWS, uh, it appeared there that 51% of the respondents were confident uh, that all the vaccines are being properly evaluated by the government, no? But 31% of them were still uncertain. I mean, I'd like you to communicate to the people, address this issue, because that's also one of the problems, right? Sigurado ba kami na it has been properly evaluated? I mean, you could sense that somehow, uh, um, from among a certain segment of the uh, population, there's still that uh, mistrust as far as government regulation and evaluation are concerned. Dr. Uh, Montoya. Well, yes, I, I think, uh, well, we have to believe the survey because they actually have a random selection of uh, informants and the numbers speak by themselves that we have to do a lot of work as far as communication is concerned. The 51% means that almost half of the population doesn't believe that there's enough work being done to study thoroughly the efficacy and safety of vaccines. I think government us and of course the experts should do, do more in terms of communication and have to admit that sometimes we can be, we become very technical there's some difficulty of the appreciation as you go down to the grassroots i'm not saying that technical people are not there but we have to simplify our messaging because even among doctors i have to admit uh gene would agree not all doctors even can understand the technical aspects of all of these studies so I think we have to simplify them in a way that can be understood by all forms of communication. But if I may elaborate as well, that maybe it's also not so much a deficiency of communication, because actually I recognize that DOH is doing a lot of this already, different media platforms, doing everything they can. But we have to admit that there are a lot of anti-vaxxers. There's a lot of misinformation also. And I have to say in the social media. And, you know, for example, I have a friend who gets this interesting article who he receives or she receives from someone else and passes it on to someone else because he finds it very interesting. Well, interesting is different from being true. And most of the time, hmm. something that is untrue is the most interesting because it's intriguing. It's different from the usual. So... Uh, we have to be sure that it's correct information. 
And in fact, if I may add, United Nations is cognizant of this fact. In fact, they are now saying everyone should only believe information that carry the label verified with the seal of uh, mm. NWHO. They're, they're going to that extent because of a lot of misinformation going on. But we really have okay. to do two, a lot two points as regarding, far as messaging uh, is concerned. Okay, to, to, I have two uh, questions regarding that uh, that point that you raised, Dr. Montoya. Number one, yung, the, the emergence of this uh, private messaging groups, for instance, private chats. Uh, I think there was a separate study on disinformation that came out last year showing that uh, aside from micro-influencers, these private chat groups are also used, were also being used as avenues to spread disinformation and misinformation. And I was not exactly surprised that you mentioned that, that this is also happening now here in the Philippines. And number two, uh, number one, my first question is that, uh, how do you deal with that? When in fact, for instance, we could recognize the fact that uh, there's always this power of credibility that is assumed whenever someone endorses something, this, even if that is not backed up by science. For instance, someone you know says that, uh, hey, this works or this doesn't work. This might work for you, right? So this, I think this has been part of the study when it comes to word of mouth. Uh, problems that need to be addressed by public health uh, strategies. And number two, do we really have anti-vaxxers here in the Philippines? Because I thought that uh, the anti-vaxxers, uh, anti-vaccination campaign were, was only strong in the West, in Europe or in the United States. But in the Philippines, I didn't think that we had such a problem uh, until uh, I think a few months before the Dengbaksha controversy uh, erupted. And as Dr. Jean mentioned, it worsened it. Well, Dr. you know, if I may comment on your second remark, I think it doesn't matter where it's originating from. What is happening is that people pass on information which is unverified, which is um, maybe from a questionable source. And because they found it very interesting and intriguing, they pass it on to other people. So regardless of where it came from, it spreads. So that is happening. And that is a reality that we have to accept. That is why uh, we just have to counter it, you know, using the same media platform, using uh, the, the same but also different platforms suited or targeting different audiences in different uh, ways. Uh, so we have to do that. And we just have to be novel and creative. And Jin maybe knows uh, how to do it uh, better but, uh, you know, communication is a science by itself. Uh, mm. And uh, scientists, unfortunately, do not have a mastery of communication. We only communicate among ourselves or among peers. You know, for example, I'm a doctor. I can speak very easily with doctors. Maybe I can speak with non-doctors, but not as easily as with doctors because we're in the same level and we use the same jargon. Yeah. Uh, and especially, you know, if... Uh, scientists have difficulty uh, simplifying uh, what appears to be very technical. See, mm. so it's something that we have to learn. That's why we're asking the help of communication experts like Jean, maybe uh, community experts. They know how yung pulso, no? If I can use the word, yung pulso ng mamamayan, what actually hits them, no? It's not what we think hits them, what actually hits them the most. Mm. And that's the one we Dr. have to Jean. use. Yeah, Doc Jean, speaking of novel or creative uh, strategies to address this problem in terms of communication, um, what have been so far? Um, 
effective means to address this problem on the ground in communities? You know, uh, when we, when we, even during the Nagbaksha issue, it, the, the trust in vaccines didn't go down in places where the physician had a good relationship with the people. When, when, when there's a trust that has been built, kahit mami may issue nung ba yung vaccine, mataas yung, yung vaccine rates dun sa mga lugar na maganda yung relasyon ng doktor sa, sa taong bayan. So it also helps, and I agree with Dr. Montoya that uh, the problem is not just sometimes not just messaging, but who delivers it. Now you imagine right now you have a, a lot of uh, let's say elderly people sharing sharing in news no, that they have not verified, but since it came from a friend, kalarusa ano dahate sa isang game or majong or something na pinadala sa kanya, so babasahin yun. And there is no way for them to verify it and there is no way for them to say to see the other side. So yun ang titimo sa kanila. Plus, it came from a, from a source that they, they, they trust. So talaga automatic, paniniwalaan yun. At sabi nga ni Dr. Montoya, the, 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 the more interesting stories are not usually the, the, the more reliable or truer ones, right? So may ganon. Kaya nga, um, part of messaging also is when people see the one carrying the message as someone they can trust or relate to. Uh, hindi lang darating dyan at magsasabing, eto yung paniwalaan nyo ako. No? And that's why um, sometimes, yun, yung problem natin sa Dimbaksha, yung mas nakaka-relate sila sa media personality kesa dun sa, sa doktor na may kaalaman sa bakuna. Kasi mas nakaka-relate yeah, That's why sila. everyone has to be responsible. Mm-hmm. Kaya rin mahalaga. That's why everyone has to be responsible dito. That's right. Pero mahalaga rin nakausapin na yung nakakausap natin about vaccines. And the, the, the ones, especially the ones we convert yung nagbago na yung isip niya, they become okay. amplifiers of what we're saying. Kasi sila mismo, makikwento nila yun doon sa kapwa nila, yes. sa kapwa nila, ano, hesitant. So sila na yung nagpapaliwanag, mm-hmm. they know where they're coming from, nasasagot na nila yung tanong. I've seen it happen so many times. May isang kakilala ko na nasa loob siya ng isang union na pagkatapos ng usap, sabi niya, ay dok, na, ano, naintindihan ko na magpapabakuna ko ngayon. At siya na ngayon yung nagpapaliwanag doon sa mga kasama niyang hesitant. That helps a lot. Now, how do we do that at the level of the community? Are the people working on the ground actually knowledgeable how to answer yung mga key questions, yung mga key doubts ng mga... Halimbawa, yung simpleng tanong na, uh, meron akong asthma eh, safe ba sa akin yung bakuna? Or buntis ako, nagpapasuso ako, pwede ba ako magpabakuna? How, how sure, how confident are people in the communities our leaders in the communities, our barangay health workers, how confident are they to answer that? Eh, yun ba nga lang simpleng medical certificate? Nagkakagulo. <laughs> Kailangan ng medical certificate, pabakuna, nagkakagulo. That's a very simple, small detail, di ba? So, you know, it's, it's just a lot uh, aside of from, Aside from those, ano, aside from those basic questions that you mentioned, what other uh, misconceptions, what are the most common misconceptions or myths that you have encountered when it comes to vaccines from the people? Well, yun, yung, um, it causes COVID or it causes death. Um, the severity of the the severity of the side effects, those are the most common. Right? Uh, magkaka-side effect ako. Uh, yun, yun nga, meron nga nagpabakuna tapos uh, wala siyang naramdaman. <laughs> so, nagtataka siya, gumana ba yung bakuna sa akin kasi wala nga akong naramdaman as if side effects come with the with the vaccine itself. No? So, hindi nila naiintindihan yun. Or yung iba naman, yun nga, yung nagkataon pero hindi naman dahil sa vaccine yun. Yung, yung, yung sa news nga na pagkatapos bakunahan ng isang shot, nagkaroon ng COVID, namatay. Parang 
Teka muna, paano natin ipaliluwanan? Those okay. really become amplified and that's but then they're really more bizarre. I, I mean, I've heard people from the province na kumalat sa naman sa kanila nagpag nagpabakuna ka raw magiging zombie ka. <laughs> Where is this coming from? But people actually believe that. So, come on. So paano natin 'yan? Paano natin 'yan haharapin? It's it's, a, it's I tell you, it's a whole compendium, it's a whole gamut of of reasons, really. I'm curious about the the uh, the segment of the population that is more prone to such um, to uh, misconceptions. Is that specific to any, let's say, social class, or it cuts across uh, well, all class categories? The fear of vaccines or the hesitancy of uh, being back uh, on vaccines cuts across. Pero you notice that those with less access to information. Uh, tend to have uh, yeah. the more the more ano diba the more uh, it's not a question of social class yes so mm-hmm. it's a question it's... of access to the right information yes mm-hmm. kasi okay. we're going to talk na, more uh, may middle class na marami okay. pa ring misconception diba so yun yeah. although you're going to ask the, more questions yeah. regarding that uh, but we need to take a break uh Uh, stay with us. Uh, we're, we're going to have more discussions regarding hesitancy and also all those misconceptions about uh, vaccines and all other aspects of the government's pandemic response. Uh, after the fact, we'll be right back. Kung may pagpapabayang nakikita, paalalahanan. Ang pagpapaalala ay pagmamalasakit Malasakit ay kailangan para COVID-19 mapigilan Nothing compares to the simple moments with the people who matter Please call for Nescafe Gold With golden roasted Arabica beans for that smooth taste and rich aroma Making everyday moments special Welcome back to After the Fact. We're still joined by uh, Dr. Gina Esperos and Dr. Jaime Montoya. Okay, so speaking of uh, hesitancy and all these uh, misconceptions about uh, vaccines and other aspects of the government's uh, pandemic response, uh, a doctor actually raised this to me during a previous conversation. I mean, how do you explain the fact that uh, there's a good number of Filipinos who are putting their trust in an antiparasitic drug Ivermectin, instead of trusting vaccines, which are already available and have gone through strict uh, regulation and screening by the authorities. Um, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on that. Dr. Montoya first. Well, you know, that's that's a that's a relatively loaded question, no? but I'll, I'll try to answer the question. Um, first of all, there's a difference there because Ivermectin was not developed to prevent infection. It was primarily developed to treat an infection, specifically a parasitic infection. Yeah, Vaccines have been developed not to treat infections, but to prevent them and to yeah. prevent disease. So first of all, those are different uh, things. And I think it has to be very clear that uh, Whereas, you know, some medicines can be used for prevention, that was not the primary purpose of specifically ivermectin. No? And secondly, when you talk of prevention, what are you actually preventing? Are you preventing um, infection after you've been exposed? Or even before you are exposed, you're actually already protected. 
No, that's what we call pre-exposure and post-exposure. Those are mm. different things. There's no clarity there. It's like, you know, if you take it, regardless of whether it's pre or post-exposure, it does not matter. It prevents you. Well, the only thing I can say there is we're open. In fact, it would be good if it actually works, but we don't have that information yet. That is why we have to do the trials. We have to do them to be able to show that it actually works among Filipinos and it's safe at the dose that is actually based on the trials uh, and how they respond to the medicine. I'm talking of the ivermectin uh, trials that we plan to do. So Have they actually started the trials for ivermectin? It hasn't started because it's still being reviewed. Uh, you know, it's not as easy as, you know, I decide to do a trial today and next week the trials are starting. You have to address the technical, that's the robustness of the process. You have to be sure that it is scientifically valid and sound, the methodology and everything, and that it will not put the volunteers or the people who will be joining the trial at an undue disadvantage and undue risk. So that so, has to have ethical approval as well. So we so have when to is that expected that. to take place? Oh, when is that expected to well, take we place? Well, we expect it also to happen sometime in June. Uh, because um, we, we project it to be about eight months, six months for recruitment. It, it may be faster, no? but to include the analysis will probably take about eight months. Okay. How much of this uh, um, effort to conduct trials here in the Philippines for the possible use of ivermectin uh, for treatment or prophylaxis for COVID-19, how much of that uh, you think was driven by pressure coming from the politicians? Well, you know, uh, politicians are also members of the community. So they say that they're divided. Some politicians say it's good, give it. Some politicians think otherwise. Even among doctors, I should say, it's also divided. They're very strong advocates for, and they're also very strong advocates against. Now, how do you answer those issues? You know, one side will say not all of the studies were well done. The other side will insist all of the studies were done very well. So we have to believe all of the results. Someone has to be in the middle. And I think what we should be doing here is, okay, those studies are being done abroad. They're not done on Filipino patients. They're usually done on small studies. And I have, I've seen some, and based on the experts also reviewing the studies, not all of them were well-designed trials. So might as well do it ourselves the way it should be done. We think it should be done among Filipinos. So that is why we're doing it. Of course, so there, has once and for all. there has to be support from the lawmakers, from officials, because it needs funding. That's a reality. So we have to also get their uh, support. So if they actually want it to be done, that's already uh, a support for the trial. That's why we're going to do it. But uh, by and large, really, at the end of the day, all we want to do is to once and for all provide the scientific data to actually show whether it really provides benefit to Filipinos who are infected. And the, the patients we're going to look at are actually the mild to moderate cases. So these are mostly the pa patients seen in quarantine facilities because these are the majority of uh, Filipino or cases who get down with COVID-19, no? Based on DOH data, about 80% are mild 
or mm-hmm. asymptomatic. So the rest are the hospitalized, more severe, and uh, requiring ICU. So we're going to target the bulk of the uh, patients for. Uh, how much will this cost again? How much? Well, the the uh, the trial itself will cost about 110 million, roughly. Okay. Okay, Dr. Jean, where do you stand on this, on the ivermectin issue? Well, um, based on the passion by which uh, what Dr. Montoya described earlier as the two sides of, of the debate or the great discussion, uh, my question would be, uh, while I agree with Dr. Montoya that we need with the, that data, that objective is to finally settle the issue, uh, I'm a bit hesitant to say that with it, will it finally settle the issue? Because the way people are debating, parang my sense is, um, when is when when are they going to say enough? You know, where, when 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 are these people going to say that hey, there's enough data out there that says it doesn't work? Or when 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 are they going to stop? You know, when is the argumentation going to stop? Um, while I want to be optimistic as far as the the research that's going to be undertaken uh, as regards ivermectin, it, that worries me for one you know, that that it might not settle the issue because people will still find loopholes as to the rigor, as to the applicability of the. I mean, that's just one fear of, of what I have. The other side is, how did we get here? <laughs> how did we get to this situation in the first place? You know, umabutay uh, sa ganito. We got to this situation because of a lot of failures. If we controlled the, the transmission of the disease early enough, if if, if we implemented the right uh, steps to address the spread of COVID, should, would we still be looking at uh, medical solutions to COVID? Would be would we be talking about ivermectin? That that's one thing we really need to look at. The way we look at ivermectin, the way we look at vaccines right now, it is 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 for me some measure of desperation from people that are looking for a way out. We have more than a year of, of lockdown. We have had a surge where people were actually dying in, in, in parking lots or, or, or outside the hospital. And people are looking for a solution. Now, one solution would be to go for ivermectin. The other would be for vaccine. But either way, for me, the, 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 it's a reflection of of, of how badly we handled the, the entire pandemic response. That's why we're here. That's why we're having this kind of conversation. Right? Yun is, is, is that a direct result of that so-called failure? Because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of opinions regarding how this government has been dealing with the, with the pandemic. But on the other hand, there's also this uh, reasoning coming from the members of the government who say that there's no template or guidebook or playbook as to how to deal with this kind of pandemic. And of course, the common reference that we hear is that if we compare our situation with the situation in other countries, we're better for, better off. I mean, how do you respond to that, uh, Dr. Jean? But but you know, if I may add, yes, go ahead. Go okay, ahead. Dr. Uh, Jimmy, the issues that uh, Dr. Jean raised a while ago. Let's also accept the fact that there's much we do not understand about the virus. First of all, when were the vaccines made available? The vaccines were made available only latter part of last year. And even that was phenomenal in the sense that for uh, companies to be able to produce so much in so short a period of time was also unprecedented. But manufacturing is one thing, but making it available to all of the countries another thing. So there's also quite some delay. That's one. And I have to admit, treatment is also lacking. How much treatments are actually already proven to be effective? 
you can count by your fingers. The WHO Solidarity Treatment Trial looked at four possible candidates, repurposed drugs. All of them proved not to be useful. You know, lupinovir, etonavir, not convincing, doesn't help. No, a hydroxychloroquine doesn't help. Interferon does not help. And these are big studies, global trials. Remdesivir uh, overall does not help, but maybe they're analyzing the data yet again. Maybe it helps in a particular group of patients who are severely ill. We're still awaiting that. But generally speaking, there are none other than dexamethasone. That is why people are desperate, you know, to find that so-called treatment that will afford them protection. But what I'm trying to say over and over again is that let's balance that desperation with science. What does science say? I mean, it is unfair for people to depend on a drug. And I'm generalizing. I'm not talking of any specific drug that is yet unproven, but people already using it for the reason that they think it is working. I think that is unethical because for people to depend on something that is not proven at the expense of other measures that should be done is really unethical and not Isn't correct. that the case with ivermectin? Isn't that the case with ivermectin? Well, I'm not saying it's ivermectin. <laughs> All I can say is that I'm just quoting what WHO is saying that yeah. despite the people saying that there's a lot of evidence already for the WHO and the big groups are already saying there's still mm -hmm. not enough data to show that it actually works. Yep. We're only following okay. that. And that's why we're okay. doing the trials to contribute to that fund of knowledge to say that, yes, is it useful or not? We're neutral in terms of that question. In fact, if I believe or we believe that it's not going to work, why are we going to do it in the first place? That's it. See? But so we're doing it because we want to answer the question. Okay, I think there's a... Uh, Dr. Gene wants to comment. Uh, let's make it brief because we don't have much time anymore. All right. All right. Final but word from question, you. Yeah, well, the, well the, the question really is, why did we depend on vaccination and why did we depend on medication in the first place? When uh, as early as last year, we could, have, we could have instituted measures that would have prevented the spread, lessened the number of people who would become severe, you know, if you look at the, the way the Philippine uh, pandemic response handled it, they were saying last year that okay, magalala, darating yung bakuna. And now that vaccines aren't here, then they're having a hard time trying to justify putting all their eggs in one basket. That's what happened. Now, as far as Dr. Monte, what Dr. Monteo is saying about the treatment, I agree that uh, what drugs were used last year cannot be used this year. But the problem really is, did we control the number of people getting sick? If we control the number of people getting sick, we control the number of people getting severe COVID. And that is something we didn't do. Because right now, if you look at the most fundamental thing, which is testing, we haven't even gotten that down pat. And that's already a year and a half into this pandemic. Right? So, uh, you know, if we, we, government always is, nobody was prepared for this pandemic. That's true. But mm -hmm. this pandemic is a public health crisis. And we haven't seen any strong public health measure being instituted to address this pandemic. In fact, most of the, the things that were being done by government seem to be knee-jerk. There's no real comprehensive systematic approach to how to handle, to how to handle this pandemic. So for me, okay. the desperation that, is that, that the people feel now 
is not just in, in looking for how they're going to get out of this rut, but more because we got into this rut because we didn't do the right things early enough. I mean, it okay. might be water under the bridge, but there's still time to do that. Otherwise, we're just going to yeah. have one surge after the other, one surge after the other. And it might be ivermectin now. It could be another drug in the future because there's a lot of orphan drugs that people are looking at okay. now. So we cannot well, I don't just think look it's at drugs. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, sorry, but we cannot just look at drugs. The, my point is okay. whether it's ivermectin as treatment or, or, or vaccines as prevention, there are other ways of, of looking at the pandemic that we haven't really done well. And that's okay. something we really need to do. Yeah. Okay, let's hope uh, things get better now, specifically yeah. the response coming from the government and the cooperation coming from the communities. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Montoya and uh, Dr. Gina Speros for joining us this evening. Uh, gentlemen, thank you. Thank, thank you. you very thank much. you very much. Thank and you very much. Evening. And that's it for this evening. Uh, that, this has been your host, Christian Esguera. Watch this episode again on the I Want a TFC or listen to our podcast on Spotify. Now, for recaps and exclusive content, uh, subscribe to the ANC YouTube channel and catch up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you again tomorrow after the fact. <laughs>